Man, I love that song, don't you? There's another in the fire. There's another in the water. Uh, don't have to go through tough times alone. What a blessing, because we all have those days that feel particularly hard, that feel particularly tough, and um, it's good to know. That's a good truth. Thanks, guys. Hey, glad to be you're here this morning. Thank you for coming. We've got a, uh, kind of the third week in a four-part series we're calling Making Room, trying to decide what are some important priorities to have in our lives. We're calling them big rocks, based on an illustration given a long time ago by a professor who showed that uh, if you stack little rocks into a jar and then try to add big rocks, you can't do it. But if you put big rocks in first, add little ones, they sift through the cracks and everything's fine. Point being, not to see how much we can cram into our lives, but seeing what are some big rocks, some priorities, some things that we need in our lives um, that maybe you decided or, or maybe God has already spoken into our hearts and into our lives. I read an interesting story. I'm reading a book, um, and, and the, the writer of the book, Jeff Henderson, uh, was a former employee. He's now a pastor, but he was a former employee of Chick-fil-A. Eh, you know, reasonably successful company. And uh, he said that at one time during his employment, he had the opportunity, or his job was, his assignment was to drive, be the driver for the then president and founder of Chick-fil-A, Truett Cathy. Well, that's a pretty good job because Truett Cathy's a pretty important man, as you might suspect, and a very wise man indeed. So he said one particular time he was taking Truett Cathy to the airport, and he was excited to see what kind of questions Mr. Cathy would ask him or talk to him about the business. To his surprise, though, he never spoke about Chick-fil-A nor the business. He was only concerned about... Jeff and what was happening in Jeff's life. When Jeff finally got up the nerve to ask him about that and say, Mr. T Mr. Kathy, I just knew you'd be asking me about how things were at the office or how things were going in our business, whether we would, were growing or, or sales were in decline. <clears throat> he said, uh, he looked at me, Jeff said this, he said, Mr. Kathy looked at me and here's what he said that Jeff never forgot and I'm glad he shared with me that day as I read the book. He said, Mr. Kathy said to him, Jeff, I never want to use people to build our business. I'd rather use our business to build people. Now that's odd for a very successful entrepreneur, wouldn't you say? I'm not interested in using people to build our business. I'm interested in using our business to build people. It occurs to me that's why Chick-fil-A is different, right? That's why they are clearly different. I told my wife the other day, <clears throat> we were in another uh, retailer, and uh, we were together, and we bought a little something, and uh, when we were finished, the, the sales clerk was helping us with some things and um, checking out, and uh, when we were done, he said, we said, thank you, and his reply was, no problem. And so I walked out the door, and I said to my wife, now, we're nowhere near Chick-fil-A, I said, this is why Chick-fil-A is different. She's scratching her head. Well, I have no idea what you're talking about. I said, think about the difference. No problem. When I say thank you, no problem implies what? Hey, you put me out a little bit, but no problem. When you say thankful and the response is my pleasure. 
Now you're saying, it was no problem, it was no bother, you didn't put me out, it was my pleasure to serve you. That's what makes them better. Now you know what it occurred to me as I listened to that thought from Truett Cathy, and I thought about the church. Because here's what I thought, in reality, in reality the mantra of the church ought to be very similar to Chick-fil-A's, and that is, we, don't, we should not be interested in using people to build our church, we should be interested in using our church to build people. You, you with me? Now, I know that's not true in many cases. I've been a pastor long enough to know that, that chances are, most of the time, we're guilty of using people to build our churches. But I'm convinced Jesus would have us use our churches to build people. So, as you see, my next rock that I'm going to put in my jar uh, this season, this year, so that I can remember, I wrote on this rock, people people. I'm convinced that we need to make room for people. As a matter of fact, every one of us needs to make room for people. We need people in our lives. Now, you might look at that or listen to that statement and say, I'm not sure I agree with that because typically when you add people, it gets messy, right? I don't know how many times I've said when I've come up with a plan and I look at that plan and I think, man, this is a great plan. And everything is great until you add people. And then you never know where it's going to take you. Actually, the statement, everybody needs to make room for people, is a little bit stirring in our culture. Because in our culture, that runs counterintuitive. Our culture says, keep people at a distance, a safe distance, an arm's distance. It's our culture. Now, it's amazing to me how that is true. I don't understand how we have arrived here in our culture today because we had this incredible, incredible thing that we call social media, right? Now, don't get me wrong. I love social media. I, I don't utilize it like probably others, or I probably do it in a different way. But, I mean, it's pretty incredible to an old guy like me who remembers <clears throat> party lines on the phone. Anybody with me there? Yeah, yeah, a few of you. I mean, to an old guy who remembers a party line on a phone, social media's in crazy. I thought, incredible, I thought when I graduated from high school, I'd never see these folks again. And many of them I didn't until Facebook appeared and Instagram came about. And now I hear from them every day. You know, it's amazing. And yet, ironically, we have become an individualistic society. We don't really want people around. We want to keep it a difference. We're fine reading it on Facebook. We're fine on social media, whatever that media you use. We're fine keeping them at that distance. But you know what? I only have to hear from them when I want to, when I turn the computer on, right? I can, I can read what I want to read in the safety of my home, and I can say what I want to say and don't even have to sign it, you know? We live in an individualistic world. We're very private, think, actually. We live in gated communities. Why? To keep people out, right? Keep people out we don't want. You say, well, I'm not in a gated community. I thought about that. I thought, I'm not in a gated community. I live on the middle of 12 acres, and uh, all my neighbors are pine trees and cows and coyotes and rabbits and foxes and deer, and I kind of like it that way. But then I thought, but you know what? There's a fence around our property, right? Or how many of you live in a subdivision, but you've got, what, a garage door opener? Now, when I grew up, we didn't have anything to cover the car. You know, we just, the car was out there. You got out if it was raining, you got wet. If it was cold, you got cold. But now we got not only a carport, 
with empty sides. We've got car garages where we drive up, push the button, drive in, push the button, the door comes down. And nobody ever has to see us. Nobody, we don't see anybody. I don't have to talk to anybody. They don't have to know when I'm home and when I'm not. We've moved. Tell me if I'm wrong, but we've moved. I'm not a sociologist, but I'm just observing. We've moved from a front door, a front porch community, to a back porch community. Now, if you forgot what that's all about, <clears throat> go with me to the Bahamas one day. The Bahamas are still very much front door, front porch people. In other words, you go to the Bahamas and you find them sitting out on the front porch in the middle of the day, in the evening, at night, and they're just talking to each other. Neighbors come by, come in, talk on the front porch. You know, I remember those days, but now what do we do? We've moved to the back porch, and we put a privacy fence around <laughs> so nobody can tell what we're grilling that night, you know, or whatever. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that's our culture. And so what I'm going to talk about today is really going to run against our culture. And I want you to hear me out before you just write me off, okay? Hear me out to the end because what I'm going to say is I'm convinced that people are important to our lives and we need to make room for people. And that's not just your family, not just your friends. It may even be people you don't like. Now, how many know there are people that are hard to love? Is that right? Now, we're commanded to, if I read the scripture right, we're commanded to love each other, but some of you are easier to love than others. Let's just say it. You know, you got those people who are people magnets, and you walk up to them, and immediately you meet them, and people are drawn to them, and, and you just want to be right there in the middle, and this is my friend. These are, this is my people right here. And then you got sandpaper people. You know what I'm saying? They just rub you all the time. Even when they're not trying, even when they're trying not to, they still rub you. And I'm like, these are not my people. I don't have any room in my life for them. I'm going to suggest <clears throat> that probably we need to make room even for those people in our lives. Now, here's what I want to base it on. There's a, there's a letter written by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament to a church in Philippi. <clears throat> we call it Philippians. And this book of Philippians is an incredible little, little letter that Paul wrote to the church. It's a letter of joy. The theme of the book is joy, which is a little ironic considering he wrote it from a jail cell. And so how, how can you be a prisoner in jail and you're writing to your people about joy and how grateful? But he does. And we also learn from this letter that Paul is more of a people person than we might imagine at first glance. So let me read you a portion of that letter. In Philippians, we call it chapter 2. Beginning in the first verse, we see an incredible passage that I want to walk through with you, and here's why. Some have called this little passage, these four verses, some have called the best picture we have in the New Testament of what a church ought to look like. Now, now that's important to me. I remember 12 years ago when God placed on our heart to begin the orchard and we started from scratch. And, and you know, the, the good thing about that is you don't have anything on the page already so you can write the page fresh and the bad thing about that is you don't have anything on the page and so God what do you want a church to look like I asked that question several times God what should a church look like not according to my tradition not according to my background but what is a church not according to my preference what is what should a church look like and I ran across this passage <clears throat> and combined it or combining with what Jesus had said about loving God and loving people this passage came to life for me Look at what he says about people. Verse two, verse 1 of chapter 2. 
Paul says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship or partnership is the idea with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy. Stop, let's stop right there. Paul is saying, in regard to our relationship to each other, we need to understand that we are in a partnership, and that partnership includes love, unity, and purpose. That's pretty important, love, unity, and purpose. You know why? I remember when Jesus prayed his prayer. We call the Lord's Prayer a model prayer that he prayed in Matthew's Gospel and Sermon on the Mount. But really, if you want to see the Lord, hear the Lord praying, turn to John 17. And in John's account of the Gospel, he says this. He says, this is where Jesus prayed. And you know what Jesus prayed in the garden? Get this. He prayed for us. He prayed for his disciples who were there immediately, but he also prayed for us, talking about the future. And you know what he prayed for us? Get this. Now, something, well, maybe he prayed for us to be successful. No. Maybe he prayed for the church to be big. No. Maybe he prayed for the church to be, oh, I don't know, wealthy. No. You know what he prayed for the church? That we would be one that we'd be unified now when I first read that I was a little bit disappointed I thought well I can see where that's a good thing but I'm not sure that would be the main thing to pray for but then again Jesus knows more than me and he said father my prayer and desire for them is that they would be one now I've since thought about that can you imagine the power, strength, and influence in the church if we could really be one, if we walk in unity. Think about that. The idea was that we who are people, I mean, you know, people of every walk of life, people with different opinions and different ideas, people who have different personalities and, and different goals in life and different structures and, and different likes and dislikes, if we people of all different nationalities and, and, and races and, and, and likes and dislikes, if we could come together as one, the world would have to look at that and say, wow, that's pretty unusual. Maybe I need to look into that. And on the flip side, because often we're not one, and too often we've been divided more than together, and too often we've fussed and fumed over likes and dislikes that really don't matter, the world looks at us and says, hmm, I don't think I want any part of that. And frankly, I, I can't blame them much. So Paul says we need to walk in Unity. How many know you need other people to do that, right? You can't walk in unity by yourself. You need, we need people to demonstrate the unity of the gospel, the unifying power of the gospel. We need people to demonstrate to a lost world what it means to really love God and love the people that he's created. We need to understand that, and so we need people in our lives. But hold on. He goes a little bit further, and what he says next is just going to, I'm telling you, get ready. It's going to rake you over the coals a little bit. Now, people used to say to me, they don't say it too much anymore, but people used to say to me, you know what, if I go to church and the preacher don't step on my toes, I don't really feel like I've been to church. You ever heard that? Well, don't worry. If that's you, I'm fixing to step on your toes. <laughs> no, I'm not. The Word of God is. Listen to what Paul said. He said, make my joy, verse 2, make my joy complete 
by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, and then here it comes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Does, does that need a stopping point there? Unfortunately, that slays me. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look, now, look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. <sighs> Isn't that convicting? Paul says as a church body, remember, he's writing to a church. And he's saying to us that people are important and we need to make room for people in our lives not because solely what they can do for us, but because of what we can do for them. Whoa, now that's a whole new concept. Not so much, not only, although we'll see that the people do things for us, but watch this, we don't use people to build a church, we use a church to build people. And we do that by preferring others above themselves. Now, I've gone long enough that I need to stop and say this. I've gone long enough that I need a caveat here. I need an asterisk here. And so let me just point in the asterisk. I know, for those of you wondering, I know that we don't do a very good job of that. Okay, so if you're sitting out there thinking like I'm thinking, eh, that's easy to say, but this church don't do well. I know we don't. We're learning. I know that no church does this really well, perfectly. But I know that all of us need to hear and learn the lesson. So y'all good with that? So just don't go off on me saying, eh, he knowing all he wants to. That. No, no, no. I know that we don't do it very well. But I do know, too, we need to learn. And that's why, to me, in my life, this people rock is going in my jar. Because this year, I want to be, I, I, want to, I want to think of people like Paul just described. I, I want to think of people, not my selfish ambition and conceit, but I want to think of people whom I can serve and love and consider as important as me. So it's not always about me, mine, and ours. It's about people. Now, the question that came to my mind as I'm developing this and thinking it through and praying it through is what kind of people do I need to hang out with? What kind of people do I need to make room for? I mean, like I said earlier, there's some people that are pretty easy to make room for. There's some that are not so easy. Well, listen, I found a passage that really spoke to my heart about what kind of people we need to make room for, all right? There's an incident in the early days of Jesus' ministry on earth, and in those early days, Jesus, he, he accomplished some incredible things in a short period of time, and all of them had to do with engaging people. And so since he's our mentor, since he's the one we're looking to, 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 to become disciples of, to follow, if we're going to do that, let's watch and see what kind of people he made room for. Make sense? And so I want to go back to the very first of Mark's um, account of the gospel and show you a, a couple of days in the life of Jesus and look at the people that he dealt with. All the way back to chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 
And let's begin reading in verse number 16. Now, Mark's gospel is a fast-paced gospel. If you read Mark's account um, of Jesus and his ministry, it's, it's like happening again, over and over and over. He uses, here's a key word. I told my group the other night, always look for key words when you're studying Scripture. A key word for Mark is immediately. Immediately this, immediately that, immediately they did, immediately he did this. It's a fast-paced, moving gospel, moving story. And so he comes to chapter 1, and we're going to see that immediately as he begins to talk in this passage. Look at verse 16. It says, As he, that is Jesus, passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Look what he said. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, putting their nets in, the, um, <clears throat> in order. Immediately, see, there it is again. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, stop just a minute. There's a group of people. First group of people I want to see you deal with. He, he, he gathered a group of men together. And he was about to, as we would say today, do life with them. Not only were they going to follow him that, not only were they going to follow him into Capernaum later, not only were they going to follow him into the synagogue later, they're going to follow him everywhere he goes for three years. They're going to eat where he eats. They're going to sleep where he sleeps. They're going to go where he says, do what he tells them. They're going to follow him day and night, day and night for three years of his ministry. Now that tells me something. The first group of people we need to make room for are people who can help us grow. People who can help us grow. These men looked at Jesus and the other disciples and said, Hey, I'm going to walk with him. I'm going to follow him. I want to learn from him. And then, you know what? They began to help each other, and they began to grow each other up in the faith. We need people in our lives who can help us grow spiritually. Do you have a mentor, a spiritual mentor? All of us need a spiritual mentor. I really believe that. I, I, I've had several spiritual mentors in my life who helped, who've helped me to grow in areas of my life. We need that, right? We need people. Here's another thing. And, and our, one thing I love about our church is our small groups. And, and you have an opportunity. Look, can I just tell you, I want to encourage you maybe to make a big rock becoming a part of a small group and, and getting involved, making room for people in a small group that can help you grow. Small group, 8, 10, 12 people typically. Get together, we pray together, we, we read the Bible together, we study together, we talk together, we help each other, we encourage each other, whatever it might be. I'm telling you, that would be a blessing in your life. You say, Pastor, are you just up there trying to sell groups? No, I don't want something from you, I want something for you. And I'm telling you, it'll be a blessing to you to make room for people in your life to get together with once a week, every other week, however you decide to meet. Because we help each other to grow. But it didn't stop there. Jesus continued. The next group of people I want you to see is verse 21. And these are people. We need to make room for people that we can worship with. Look what he says. I love it. Verse 21. They went into Capernaum. And right away he entered the synagogue 
on the Sabbath and began to teach. So they're at the Sea of Galilee, on the north end of the Sea of Galilee, or at least that's where experts tell us the best fishing was, so we assume they're there. On the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee is the city of Capernaum. So they go up into the city and they enter into a synagogue. What's a synagogue? A synagogue was a place of worship. A synagogue was a place where the Jews in the town would gather together, they would pray together, they would read scripture together, they would teach the scripture, they would sing songs. In other words, it was a place of worship. Not the same as a church, but we might think of it similar because church is a place where we come to worship, we sing together, we pray together, we teach, we read together. So he comes to this place of worship. And isn't it interesting that Jesus, first thing he does with these followers of his, new followers of his, is takes them into the place of worship. Now, why do I think that's important? I think that's important because our culture has told us that we don't need people to worship. Now, I understand the truth of that. I do. I understand that you don't need people to worship. I, some of my best worship experience, frankly, happens in my truck, right? Because I can just sing out as loud as I want to and not, not care about what it sounds like. You know what I'm saying? I, I like worshiping my truck. I mean, you know, when I'm in my truck, I can sound like whoever I want to sound like. You know, Crowder has nothing on me when I'm singing his songs in the truck. I sound like David Crowder, right? In my mind, I mean, I sound like Chris Tomlin, whoever your favorite person is. I, I sound like Casting Crowns. I mean, I, I can just sing, and, and nobody hears except me and the Lord, and I'm just singing, and yeah, the person passing by might think I'm crazy, but that's okay. I'm enjoying that. I can plug in great preaching on, the ra on my iPod, right? My phone. I can great podcasts and messages, and I can worship. And let me tell you, I believe that. You, you can indeed, you can worship on the beach, can't you? Have you ever, I, some of my best worship experiences have been right by myself on a beautiful beach at sunrise or sunset. Or on a mountain cove in the woods. On a path. My back porch. Yeah, we can worship by ourselves, but I'm going to tell you something. Be careful. Can I just say this? This... I wish at this point I could take my pastor preacher hat off and put on my Eddie normal guy hat. Because you think I'm saying this just because I'm a pastor. I know. Just take that hat off. Let me just talk as Eddie the man. I'm telling you, you're going to miss something if you don't make room for people to worship with. It's important. Yeah, I can worship in the car, but let me tell you, I don't worship in my truck nearly like I work in the same manner that I worship here on Sundays. I love having these guys come up here and lead me, lead and worship. Are they perfect? No. You know, are they as good as the bands we hear on the, our CDs? Or No. Are their hearts genuine? Yeah. Can they help me to worship? Yeah. I love coming and seeing your faces and just hugging your neck and just having you encourage me. I can't tell you how many people went out the door today and just hugged my neck and said, Pastor, we're praying for you this week. Do you know what an encouragement that is? I want to make room for people to come to worship with. And that is not a pastor's sales pitch. That's Eddie, who went to church nine months before he was born. <laughs> uh, nobody took issue with that. But anyway, I just always, I love being with people in worship. Uh, let me go on. I, I don't have time to unpack all these or we'll be here all morning. But let me, let me go to the next portion because in the next portion we see another group. The next portion we see are people who are far from God. 
Now, that might surprise you, but we need to make room for people who are far from God. Look what happens just then, verse 23. Just then, what? He's still in the synagogue. He's in the worship experience. And, and in the middle of the worship experience, a man with an unclean spirit was in the synagogue. That means a man who is demon-possessed. What? Right there in church? Oh, man. I started there, and I thought, you know what? I should probably say, you know what? There are demon-possessed people right here in church. And then I thought, no, you'll start naming them. <laughs> Better not do that. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. Here's a demon-possessed man. He cries out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Look at the next verse. Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. Here's a man who's far from God. Now, those fishermen, those zealots, those tax collectors were following him. They were close to God at one, after they come to him. But now there's somebody who's far from God, a, a demon-possessed man. And Jesus took time to address that man. Why? Because that man needed that demon to come out. Can I just say we need to make some room for people who are far from God? Because they need a touch from heaven. And we may be the contact, the very contact that God uses. We need, I'm just, I don't know if I'm talking to y'all now, if I'm talking to me. especially hard for me because I'm, I'm just around church people all the time. It's just the nature of what I do. I'm a professional Christian, as Andy Stanley likes to say. Uh, not really, but the tongue-in-cheek part is, that's my job. That's my vocation. And so I hang out with church people a lot between meetings and, 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 and um, phone calls and text messages and, and group studies and church meetings and da-da-da-da-da around all these church people, which is good that I love church people. But, oh, how I love to make room for some people in my life who are far from God. Don't know anything about church. Don't care anything about church. Are not impressed that I'm a pastor. Just see me as a man. And I can tell them about Jesus and his mercy and grace. There's nothing like it. And when the opportunity comes that I can share the good news of Jesus with a person who's far from God and see them come to faith in Christ, there is nothing on this earth like that. Nothing. I'm telling you, I'm not asking something from you. I want something for you. Make room for people, including people who are far from God. You say, oh, I thought we were to isolate ourselves. I thought we were to isolate. No, we're never told to isolate. We're told to insulate, but not isolate. Yeah, now listen to you. Listen, young people. I got young people in the room here. Listen to me. You, I'm, I'm not saying, well, be careful. Be careful where you go with people you don't need to be going with. I'm not suggesting that. Insulate yourself, yes. But you don't have to isolate from people who need God. Well, that's all I can say about it. I'd like to say more. But let's go to the next group of people. Verse 29. Here it is. We need to make room for people we can serve. Look what happens in verse 29. It says, as soon as they left the synagogue, as soon as they left the synagogue, could I say this? As soon as they left church, they started being the church. Can I just say, what we do on Sunday morning is very important. We gather as the church. This is a gathering 
We gather together as a church body. But when we walk out of the door, we don't cease being the church. In fact, we really just start being the church. Now we're not going to church. We are the church. So look what happens. As they left, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever. They told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. I'm tired just reading it. He's had a day, a jam-packed day with all that's happened. He's called these men to follow him. He's led them to church, and they've been there, and they've been hanging out with people who are far from God, and now they bring in more people who need to be served. And so he looks at the disciples, who I'm sure are tired also, and says, hey, hey, one of you needs to be over here and take care of this group, and one of you needs to write down the names of these people. I don't know what I'll do. You need to help me take care of these people. Here's the point. He immediately led them to serve other people immediately right right there I guess on the same day can I tell you listen to me carefully serving peoples is one of the greatest way you'll grow your faith I mean that I know some of this sounds like preacher talk I wish I could take the preacher hat off I'm just saying serving people will grow you It'll grow your faith. You know why? For instance, it'll grow your patience. Amen? Because there's going to be people you have to be patient with. You're going to grab them by the hair of their head and shake them. And you're going to have to say, no, I can't do that. You've got to serve people who are different than you. It takes patience. You learn to pray. Because I can't help this person but so much, and so now I need to pray. You need to God to get involved in their life. You grow in your prayer life. You give. When you have people around you, give. It takes you have to give to have people involved in your life, right? And I don't mean all. I don't mean just money. I mean you're, you're giving your time. You're giving your talent. You're giving them your attention. You're, you're giving them uh, the the time they need, the personal touch they need. All of that is exhausting. Jesus is exhausting, but the first thing he says is that. But here's the thing. Learn to draw strength from God. That's how you grow. When people exhaust you and you say, I can't do this anymore, you're in a perfect place to grow. Perfect. A couple of weeks ago, I was down in the Bahamas. Toby, he was down there with me. Tommy, he was at the first service. But, and they were down there. And I'm telling you, about it, brother, it was a time of growing me because I was overwhelmed had all this stuff to do and nothing to do it with and I, I couldn't do this I could, finally I just had to say God you know what you got to take over this thing I'm worn out and he says well I've been waiting on that been waiting on that and then you grow you see when you in fact you know what we find Jesus doing right after this we find Mark says that early in the morning the next day he went up on the mountain by himself pray now isn't that interesting God talking to God Jesus himself tired worn out said you know what I need some time alone 
and he went up to be with the Father. By the way, that's next week. I hope you'll come next week. I'll be in Jerusalem, some, somewhere in Jerusalem next week, but we're gonna, I'm going to come to you via video with a message. The last in this series is going to have to do with rest, the importance of rest and recuperation and refueling. Jesus goes on the mountain and he prays. How did he do it? He prayed to the Father. That's what, listen to me, that's what fatigue in serving people does. It drives you to the Father where you say, Father, I need your strength and power working in me. I don't know how to deal with this person. I don't know what to say to this person. I don't know what advice. I don't know what counsel. I don't know what to do. God, and I watch this, and then when God begins to work in your life, you grow. I'm telling you, this is, this is good stuff. Somebody ought to be saying Amen. I'm going to have to come down the front row and say it myself. I mean, I'm telling you, it'll help you to grow. People who we can serve. Then there's one more group of people. Let me catch this real quick because I'm about out of time. Let me go really really quickly down to verse um, 36. It says, Simon and his companions searched for him. You know why they were searching for him, right? Because he'd gone away. He'd left them. And they didn't know where he went. So they were looking for him. When they found him, by the way, you can see in verse 35 what he was doing, but I don't have time to touch that. When they found him, verse 37, they said, everybody's looking for you. What's the implication? The implication is, man, Jesus, we've got it set. Listen, the church house is full. Everybody's here. They're just waiting for you to come teach. They're waiting for you to come preach. They're waiting for you to come give them instruction. They're ready for you to come touch them and heal them and, and, and save them. They're, they're, they're primed and ready. The church is full. Everybody's waiting for you. Which in, in our day would mean, wow, what an opportunity, an open door. Here I go. But look what he said. Verse 38. Let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there. This is why I've come. What? Why go to another village with just a few people when you've got this humongous crowd gathered here? I think it's because Jesus was teaching us a valuable lesson, and that is we need to make a place for people who are not in our circle. That go beyond our walls and even beyond our communities. He's giving them a global vision. Now here's why that's important, because at the very end, after he's crucified, and he rises from the dead, and he meets with them after 50 days on the Mount of Olives, he's about to ascend into heaven, he looks at them and he gives them a mission. Do you remember what it was? He said, um, now as you're going, you're gonna make followers, you're gonna be witnesses to this gospel, and you're gonna make disciples, he says, you're going to start here. Start right here in Jerusalem. Start right where you are. Then to Judea. That's spreading out. Then to Samaria. That's spreading out. And then to the uttermost part of the world. That's spreading out. You know what he's saying? He's saying, church, make room for people who are beyond your own circles. Now, I believe with all my heart, we start right next door. I do believe that. Again, what was my asterisk at the beginning? We don't do all this perfectly. We start right where we are, with my own family, with my own friends, my neighbors, my community, my county. But then he's saying, you know what? You can't be satisfied there. You've got to move out. You've got to influence people in your state, in your country, in the world itself. 
Can I just say, I know most of you in the building, unless you're first time with us or new to us, you know that we're about to, uh, we're, we're striving toward putting a new campus down in Marion County. And some people have asked me, why Marion County? Why are you doing that? You know what? Watch this. The easiest thing to do would be to say, you know what? Let's just keep filling our building. Let's just keep filling this place. Let's just keep taking care of the people right here in our town. Now, we're going to do that. We're going to continue to do that. We want to continue to reach people right across the street. But you know what? We're given a mission to go even further than that. And to people outside our circle. And so while we're trying to take care of those nearby, we're also going to look to people we don't even know out there in Marion County. Because that's what we feel God has instructed us to do. And you may think that's crazy. In fact, at times, my wife asks me, are you crazy? And at times I say to her, yeah, I think I am. And then God reminds me that people are important. People are more important than programs. People are more important than buildings. People are more important than budgets. People are more important than all the things that we tend to put importance to and then comes a, a truant Kathy and lays it out for me we can't use people to build the church we need to use the church to build people I want to say thank you Mr. Kathy to which I'm sure he will respond my pleasure People are important. One last thought, and I promise I'm done. People should be important to us because they are important to God. That's the bottom line. People should be important to us because they're important to God. Important enough that he gave his one and only son to die for people. Important enough that he included a portion of a letter in his book that says people matter if there's any consolation any fellowship of the spirit if there's any mercy any love let no one think more highly of himself than he ought to think but consider others as important wow consider my challenge, consider writing on one of your rocks, people, and see how you might serve them. Pray with me, would you? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us a few moments to once again look into your word that is so powerful, so precious, so piercing. Thank you for teaching us the need make room for people in our lives God I, I just want to say thank you for reminding me to not use people to build a church but to use our church to build into people's lives to grow people to grow the gospel, to move, to share the gospel. To reach all kinds of people. People that are like us and people that are not like us. People that 
share our race and people who don't. People who help us grow, but also people that we can serve. People we can worship with, but also people that we don't even know. People near us and people far away. As you sit quietly, my question again, will you make room for people? I know it's sticky. I know it's messy. I know it's hard. But I really believe it's our command. Perhaps it starts with you having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you came in this morning searching. Telling you today, you're not here by accident. The first step in serving your God is to know Him in a personal and growing relationship. You can make a difference. Simply surrender your life to Him. Get away from the baggage that's been in your life. Take this faith. Make a difference. Father, I pray. in the strong and precious name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord.